0: Welcome back to part two of our two-part installment where we are discussing the original novella Who Goes There and its implications throughout the uh, various other other iterations of The Thingiverse, as I'm referring to it. So, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, uh, the classic 1951, The Thing from Another World, directed by Howard Hawks, uh, and we get into actually in this episode the 2002 PlayStation video game which was kind of an awesome scary survival action sleeper. Um so please strap in if you have not previously uh watched if you've not previously watched the 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 last episode for part 1, you really this is a case where you really need to go back and, and listen to that one first otherwise this is not going to make any sense. And I misspoke last time about Phil's individual credit. He goes by L Kungki El conquistador, as in, El the Spanish the. So El conquistador with a K at the end. If you're looking for Phil individually, and uh, before I get too far into it, let's get on to the show. And one of the one of the reasons that you never vacuum up the use of the dogs in your thing story. Uh-huh. is because it is such a power drill down to the boiling magma of emotion Absolutely. in the audience. Absolutely. Where, it is, where you know, as I alluded to before, it's visceral because, you know, terrible things happen to the dogs and dogs cannot defend themselves. I mean, we don't have to drag out the book, like Save the Cat on script. Right, right. For the audience yeah. To like understand that this is, there's a reason that people have been doing this since prior to 1938. You know what I mean? That yeah. like that, uh, that this alien is it. Won't, maybe it may be necessary to establish its alienness by the fact that it's like, fuck these dogs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. The first thing right. I'm the first thing I'm going to do either by accident is by hook or by crook, um, invade, destroy and kill a few of these dogs. That mean absolutely nothing to me, which right. in the triangulation of otherness Is the most efficient show, not tell way to other the monster from the people. And then absolutely. inevitably in, in POV from the audience and the reader that the, there is no more efficient way. You know, the, I kind of think of I, I, you must be like a serenity and firefly nerd, right? Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. Like we well, you know in, in the pilot episode where the guy who you think is totally the vanilla jerk, but ends up being the spy, like yeah. knock knocks out book, the priest. And then after he knocks him out, he's knocked out and he just stands there and kicks him an extra time for no reason. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that is the, the anti save the cat. Of that evil, like governmental spy in that pilot, that defines, like this guy isn't bad. He's he's fucking awful, and you can kill him and not feel bad about it. Yeah. Well, you know that is the eating and consuming the dogs in every in every version of the thing. It's like, yeah. all right, this thing just fucking eats dogs and is like got no problem about it. Fuck this thing, which is yeah, get in a way, <laughs> which is in a way, why they're able because that is downplayed. In the 1950s version in the Howard Hawks film, it also allows for the space for um, a thing that they have kind of in opposite in the mirror image with the scientists in that version, which is the scientist in that version. He's kind of, you know, it's a much more it both that movie. It's kind of a yin yang with the thing from another world. And um, why can I not think about it? Klaatu Barata Nikto. What is the name of that movie? Um, oh, the one. Uh, <laughs> I've done uh, it to you because we both have ADHD brains. Oh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. God damn it. Uh, uh, the, <laughs> the other one with the scientist and the, oh, robot. Uh, the 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 day the earth stood still. The day the earth stood still. They are kind of um, they both came out within six months of each other yeah. and they essentially function as the launch into the uh, high production value 1950s science fiction era. And in the case of the thing from another world, you have the dark, grim, cynical reality of this motherfucker is going to come eat us. Mm-hmm. And you have a much more ET friendly. These, these robot people would like to give us the cure for cancer shit with, um, with our opposite light version. And, and in, and in that, um, that tension is exemplified in the thing from another world where the otherness is handled in the dogs. It's handled in the alien. It's handled in the primary female character because uh, unlike nearly all of the other versions of the thing, the the one from Howard Hawks's version has one female character and oh, some, okay. yeah, it has, it has a, the, the Howard Hawks version is, it's it's so a Howard Hawks movie. And uh-huh. I don't know if you've seen bringing Up baby. I don't know if you've seen other Howard Hawks films, but he is kind of um, living an early 20th century reality where nobody, if, if nobody's bantering, the scene is very tense. And right. by the sense that like the banter is, is almost a wall-to-wall soundtrack where people are joking and laughing and ribbing each other and that joviality is the space of... The, the space that the film lives in.
1: That thing's alive, sir. I saw it. I shot it. I hit it. I know it. Nothing happened. It just kept coming at me, making a noise like a cat. I can't mean, Captain, it was awful. You couldn't see those hands and those eyes. Captain, you've
2: got to do something about it. You've got... Is it human or inhuman? Earthly or unearthly? Baffling questions, astounding questions that not even the world's greatest scientific minds can answer. Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? A being from another world as different from us as one pole from the other.
0: 1.9. Needles hit the top. And that in every case, whether it's a it's a tiger that they have to take care of or an alien from space, a separate thing comes in as an interloper and says, fuck your whole thing up. You got to deal with me now. Right. And the way that they get through it is jocularity and humor. And and so you kind of you need this female foil. That's the cute uh, the cute love interest of the surprisingly friendly and ribald captain of the North pole camp of the film. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that all of his subordinates can demonstrate their joviality by poking him in the ribs about it over cards. Right. And, and, and so there, there's this very like high waisted um, leather belt um, Air Force jacket, kind of like, Hey, and she really got the better of you that night, didn't she, Buster? <laughs> down in Honolulu, and they're going back and forth. And really, there is no hero protagonist. The hero protagonist is almost like one of those World War II escape films, where it's very much it's a Hogan's Heroes. There, you know, Hogan is only the facade of the protagonist in Hogan's Heroes. The the whole the group of the the diverse GI Joe team of this um, ragtag bunch of Americans who are going to use their guts and wily um, determination to get through this through thick or thin. That is the protagonist is the group, which is right. astounding because what they were othering <laughs> is communism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. The, the, like, the paranoia <laughs> that the Howard Hawks version has in the ultra high conformity world of 1951 America. Is the thing that they're worried about is collectivity and radical and the radical left. But the way that they demonstrate their Americanness is in working together, sharing resources, being a team and allowing everybody's individually individuality to jump in and play in the space and then step back safely and not not be judged. If anything, the, the. and the and you're gonna have to go and watch it because it's gonna drive you crazy as soon as you get done with this episode. I'm going positive. to have to, yeah. Because the, the it's you can get it for uh, seven dollars on Amazon. But nice. the, the but the 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 ragtag team in the 1951 Howard Hawks version is a perfect demonstration of collectivism in the for in in the version of an. an army crew that is forced to work with a civilian scientific team. And that, and that um, the duality really battles uh, against each other of emotions versus logic respectively. And Mm -hmm. also um, chaos versus chaos versus lawfulness in the sense of following the rules, adhering to authority and taking bureaucracy seriously, seriously in the case of the scientific characters. But What ultimately happens is they end up alienating the head, like, I want to make friends with it, scientist character, who is has too much facial hair and smokes too many pipes to be right. Right. (laughs) And thus eliminating the intellectual expert, but only the head of that beast, because there's a whole fucking team of these scientists working under him who revolt and say like, yeah, we're going to tell you his plan that that was going on the whole time. It turns out that there's, he's like fostering a bunch of these alien plants and this weird little crib. And you probably should do something about that. Cause this guy's fucking yeah. nuts. And yeah. he does the most cliche scientific thing in the world where finally they've got the kind of like Frankenstein vegetable man. It's a vegetable man in this movie. Don't it's a whole thing. The they vegetable that a man, lot.
1: It was always a vegetable. That's, that's, that's such yeah, an interesting choice.
0: Yeah. I, it's, it's a whole, it's like a Vulcan logic versus emotions thing where I can never remember the name of actor when I desperately need it. My literally my favorite actor, he was, he got a, uh, he got a, uh, let's see. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. The guy who got nominated, who wasn't Jack Nicholson is my favorite actor who is worm tongue in the two towers. Oh, oh, and Chucky. Chucky, yeah. Brad Dourif. Brad. Duriff. Yes. Yes.
1: Yes. Yes. You so, are a beautiful so, butterfly, Dourif.
0: Yes. Br- yeah. Exactly. So, Doctor Carrington, in this instance creates the original cinematic role of the um, the drooling Brad Durf scientist who just wants to make friends with the alien. Right. And walks up <laughs> to it and gives a whole speech to this seven-foot guy, vegetable Frankenstein. And goes like, I know with your vast intelligence that is beyond ours that I come to you with no weapons and with... All of this wisdom, you must know that I mean no harm. And it just fucking smashes him to the floor and breaks his collarbone. And, like, and you're like, well, we've established how that's going to go for every sci- science fiction movie from now to eternity. Yep, and, that's,
1: yeah, yeah, we just we just set
0: down the foundation. And then fellas. everybody that has not been othered in the film that remains zaps the shit out of him with an electrical trap that they've devised with their ingenious American come togetherness teamwork. Right. which and and they win the day by othering the scientist fuddy-duddy super expert which also defines a great american tradition of anti-intellectualism that is just only gotten better since then
1: oh it's just it's just <laughs> with age has just oh beautiful yeah no.
0: it is it yeah it it is the no notes it, it is the 12% triple uh, Belgian uh, of uh, great American delusions that oh, oh, yeah. that that your expertise is equivalent to my random ass opinion, right? And the, and it's great in the film because you're like this guy really needs to get his head fucking squared on straight, but it totally Ill- illustrates the bizarre literary irony that we have created a protagonist that is not the captain. It's not any of his individual plucky cohort. It is all of them as a true team with no eye in it that defeats the otherness of the individual lost, terrified, lone, viral other that is purely logic and sees them as only a, a source of blood and food. Yeah. And the fact that that anxiety is pointed as best as we can possibly articulate it at the Ruskies and the Cold War in this instance is so bizarrely, intensely ironic. There's, it's You almost can't articulate it because it's so infuriating. It's
1: fascinating because it really is. I mean, it, I think it would be extra strange if it, it, it's, it's just a good thing that that, Lack of introspection never happened again after this.
0: Uh, (laughs) I think that's really what's important. That we put our heads down to solving humanity's problems from a real top-down view and resolved all of them in a real kind of Jean-Luc Picard um, frictionless, total humanitarian resolve. And no one, no one starves or commits genocide to this day. No, no, things Ooh. are different now. I'm like David Letterman throwing my copy on the of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I've never done on this show before. Uh, you bring out a different side. You bring it. It's what side I'm of, here for, man. Co-hosting.
2: <laughs> Anyone else with a comment?
0: Brief aside: I did a ridiculous. I did a really stupid thing yesterday. Well, I did a couple of stupid things, t- uh, like, um, kind of stacked on each other. One, I watched Leprechaun 2, um, <laughs> okay. because last year I did at this time of the year, I did Leprechaun for a, uh, you know, a St. Patrick's Day, um, subject on the show. And then. Holy idiotically, shit, it's been a year since that one. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Damn. And then idiotically, I, I, maybe it hasn't been, I mean. Is that a year ago? I don't know. It would be weird for me to have not done it then. But anyway,
1: um, I feel like it was the St. Patrick's Day episode. I just didn't think ma- about it.
0: But I, and uh, and I so I watched it alone because I reasonably assumed that my partner did not want to watch that. Because m- why would you? <laughs> and um and I drank a shamrock shake while doing so. And so sure. of course I felt like I felt like a bag of ass because as an adult, um that much sugar without a whole meal oh, yeah. surrounding it is not good for the body. and It's going to ruin um, your life. Absolutely. I, so I, I, yeah, I felt like like um, Shamrock shit squared for most sure. of evening. <laughs> but for some reason, I have assigned myself this terrible Sisyphusian thing annually where I'm going to watch a uh, Leprechaun movie every year on St. Patrick's Day and um, report back my findings. And my findings were very simple about Leprechaun 2. It's bad. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's not as good as Leprechaun One, which was only kind of salvageable because of its novelty. And I think. Wart-based. I
1: think if it helps, at least none of us were. We were. We weren't like. Waiting with bated breath for the. Uh, no. for, for that's that why I've turned it review. into. That's
0: why I've turned it into a footnote activity. It's just a. Yeah. Thing I, <laughs> it's a thing that I do to myself, and I will only report back to, about it as much as uh, feels appropriate, which is very little. Yeah. Exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it's not gonna. It's not gonna be an episode. It's just like, yep, that was a thing. That was something um, that happened. That was a thing that happened. People were in this movie, and they got killed by Warwick Davis in a silly little green outfit.
1: They sure did.
0: I'm going to read one little piece from a thing that I, I don't usually do this on on the um, I don't usually do this on the podcast, but I have a book that I actually used during the writing of my uh, grad film thesis way back in whenever the fuck that was 2008 2009. You uh, your timeline was probably similar to mine. So mm-hmm. um, it's a book by a guy named Kendall R. Phillips called Projected Fears, uh, the subtitle Horror Films in American Culture, which I used very uh, extensively when I wrote my paper, which uh, if anybody gives a flying fuck was on um, masks in horror films, like um, Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers. Nice. And, yada, yada, yada. and that was before that was like the most trite thing in the whole fucking world. I swear. Um, and, and um, he says a whole bunch of, really he has there's a whole chapter on the thing from another world, but one of the things he says is there are three prominent there's a whole section on the others. So if you were if you were concerned about having any buttresses stuck under your thesis, Phil, uh-huh. uh, the the Others as a primary component in in this um, oeuvre is uh, it's dead center dead center supported by this guy who wrote a whole fucking book about it, there and I, I highly recommend this book by the way. Is there are he says there are three prominent others in in the film uh, the thing from another world the that the group encounters uh, the group being this um, military camp on the North Pole Nikki which is the um, the female of the group who is othered by her being female, the scientists, which are the civilians of the camp that all obviously have a different set of priorities than the um, Air Force team on the whole, and, of course, the thing. These three others exist along a continuum of acceptance in which Nikki is sought out by the group because her, um, and this is me ad-libbing here for a moment, but... <laughs> Essentially, he talks about it in another part where her, um, for lack of a better term, um, kind of sexual ambiguity, or rather the usage of masculine and feminine traits finds, makes her someone that both fits in and is useful. And that is a theme that is explored throughout um, Howard, Howard Hawks' movies. But so Nikki is sought out by the group. Uh, the scientists are accepted, but largely not incorporated until the end when they kind of turn, and this is me ad-libbing again, they turn coat on their leader who has gone uh, to Brad Dura for the whole group. And then lastly, the thing, which must be destroyed entirely. And if anything, if I were to, so this is, so end quote, if I were to extrapolate in a, in a way different than he does in relationship to how our um, kind of thesis has has brought it to the surface, that continuum to me illustrates exactly uh, the thing that I found so annoyingly ironic, which is that continuum is on an axis of of how much you're willing to buy into the, the diverse team and contribute to it. Yeah. Because uh, that continuum rides that axis in Nikki, although she is othered in her marginalized sex is brought in because she is willing to buy into the thinking and the function and the needs and the goals of the team. The scientists less so because they are on all those less so. And the thing entirely, entire is entirely antagonistic. It is individualistic in this case, which is interesting because in other versions, the thing uh, in a way, it kind of flips where the thing rep- does represent communism in a specific way because it represents a lack of individuation. It were, you know, a, it's a super entity. It's a fungus almost. Right. And, and, and that it is an interloper an outsider. And that it has a viral quality that can take over and destroy your individuality if given the opportunity. And, and that, so if you were, if you were worried that your um, otherness thesis was not going to have any legs on this show, you have come to the wrong place, Phil. <laughs> um, I came with books, which is, I don't, you know, I actually, I found this book because um, at that time when I was living in a, what was funny is I did a weird thing where I didn't actually leave Lost. I didn't actually leave Savannah with my degree. I went. I had an internship, which got me ended up having give, giving me a job at the talent agency in Los Angeles, and yeah. so I got to finish writing my thesis while in LA. And what I realized was like, hey, we got some way better fucking libraries about film in LA than we do in Savannah. Yeah, who the um, fucking <laughs> and um, at the time. Um, the USC campus was at least during the summer. You could just drive nearby and walk on and walk into the library and nobody actually checked who you were. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I would just walk onto the UC USC campus and go into their film library. Cause they have a library just about like a, a, section of one of their main libraries, just about film and, um, rifle through what cool books they had about, um, tentacle monsters and weird thing th- things. So, um, How about that? How about them apples? And it was pretty funny because I I guarantee now I would have been like uh, picked up and shuffled out by some um, some capital G goons. Oh, Oh, yeah. People have got people have gotten more anxious in America over time. I don't know if anybody's told you guys on the news.
1: I haven't noticed personally, uh, but uh, (laughs) I've heard rumblings. Yes.
0: Yeah. I saw it on the tweets. Um, Yes. Yes. People are nervous has the spirit keep them flying what the flags of discontent remember
2: never trust anybody over 30
0: definitely reading who goes there enhanced my appreciation of the john carpenter film in ways that i really did not anticipate anticipate at all i i anticipated that it would enrich and enhance but similar to seeing it in in, in big screen, I was absolutely not prepared for the scale of that enhancement. Um, and, and one of the things that I did not anticipate being a through line was that there is a very, um, there is a lost thread in the plot that has to do with the alien being able to read your mind. Did you pick yes. up on this in reading the novella? And because it, it's much more prominent in the novella, yes. And they they cut that obviously. They really give it some paragraphs in the novella where they think that they're they're having weird dreams, um, the, like McCready and some of the other characters. Um, I think Gary, who is the captain, who are are traveling with the thing when it's still. Um, cocooned in its icy carapaces, they bring it back from the landing site, um, and they're having odd daydreams and visions. And when they sleep, they sleep thoughts that perhaps it is intimated are, are projected into their minds by the thing. Yeah, um, I'm sure you know because you're enough of a, a thingophile that Fuchs, uh The character in the John Carpenter version has a very specific hmm, role in the film. Where he's kind of a curious, interested, skeptic scientist that is n- not the rambling, paranoiac that Blair is. Yeah, yeah. And continue, and he's the one who kind of, in addition to Doctor Copper, inherits the job of doing the science business after Blair like flips his lid and starts right. like um, trying to to murder everybody. And you know, he's the one who's paranoidly, you know, kind of. At- armed with a vial or an Erlenmeyer flask full of acid, ready to throw it on anybody that he thinks might be an intruder. And, (laughs) and, and and also he's the one that's perhaps most enigmatically killed where they just find his glasses and some of his clothes out in, out in the, um, the frozen wilderness. And they kind of are forced to indirectly ask, maybe he thought he, maybe he realized he was the thing and he burned himself Maybe he fought the thing and it killed him. And you really, you truly don't know what the fuck happened to Fuchs. Like if if there is a negative space in the eye of the storm of the thing, it contains a couple of pieces of business. One of the main ones being what the fuck happened with Fuchs? Because he had some kind of, he had one of those terrible, you know, like slimy tentacle pieces of business happen with him in some way. But you, it, it. It makes the film more tense by not knowing it because he seemed to have the best rational grasp on the situation as opposed to like McCready, who is a fantastic point of view character because he's dumb like the audience and he's a tough guy who can operate a flamethrower, but he's not doing chemistry about it. He, you know, he like he, it, 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 until he gets to the idea of the blood test, he's depending on the other more scientific characters in the sweaters to go like, well, this would be the smart thing to do. And eliminating Fuchs uh, really takes away a bunch of your arsenal in terms of like, we could science about it, like in the novel. And you're like, OK, but what have we helicopter piloted about it for a while? Right. And <laughs> and 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 Fuchs has this throwaway line where he's worried uh, where he's, he's been having, he's been having weird dreams. And there's also a throwaway line in the thing from another world where one of these random cohort of the air force team says, I just had a thought. What if it can read our minds? And one of the other guys in the Howard Hoxian style says, well, he's going to be real pissed off when he, when he reads mine. (laughs) And, (laughs) And, and it's just, it's, it's, it goes by that quick. And, but it does. It's so funny. There's this tiny blip of this thing that was very, um, not essential, but seemed existentially horrific in a way that played in the novella that, that doesn't quite translate, but it's just kind of like a throwaway line by a character who just had a random thought.
1: I never picked up on that. That's fantastic.
0: I wouldn't have it a million years if I wasn't doing this show. Maybe, like, <laughs> uh, maybe 50,000 years buried under buried under the ice. The idea of a, um, uh, an alien monster that has a telepathic power Also, I think, gets to one of the bedrock anxieties about the thing being that it it has it has a virality and a way it has an essence that eludes individualism in a way that is infectious in ways that you can't even totally understand as a human being. Right. Right. It doesn't just have to grab you. It can actually it can actually just put ideas into your dreams, which, which starts to, to, to get into that um, post science danger of, we, we truly don't understand. It's all, it has that almost spiritualism of like, like a Freddy Krueger fairy puka business that is like, well, that's, 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 it's so on the edge of science versus horror. In this case, science being reduced to, uh, something that has to do with their material scientific world and horror being something that relates to um, the otherness of spirituality or, or religion that it's really rubbing up against that um, you know the the cells of your spreadsheet that differentiates one versus the other, at least from the <laughs> perspective of the human beings that are having to deal with it. does that does that generate any thoughts in you that um, that kind of like bring something new to the surface? because that ah. really rang my bell. I haven't I I
1: didn't think about that like I I I just thought of the uh, the telepathic ability and everything like that as kind of the way I always interpreted it if there was if there was anything to be used in the John Carpenter film, it would be something along the lines of this is its way of like getting to know who you are and being able to better imitate you. It's 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 yeah, nothing more well, than a tool to kind of. And,
0: s- and, well, yeah, right. And they definitely they explore that in, in the novella specifically. Right. Because, they, yeah, it's 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 aw- almost odd how in depth that they actually they take the subtext and they textualize it by having dialogue back and forth between the characters going like, well, if it was going to imitate you, it would have to do this and this and this. And then, you know, one of the, one of the other scientific characters goes, well, if it was going to really imitate you, it wouldn't be able to do the things that you can do. It couldn't act like you without the mental context of being you. So therefore it would need some kind, it would need some psychological context to act like you, that oddly, they didn't just take from the brain being the physical manifestation of the mind. That for some reason, in 1938, I think maybe Campbell had a necessity to kind of like swallow the soul in a way right, and be right. like, well, the brain can't be in the mind. That's just fucking dumb. You know right. I mean? like, <laughs> he was, he was very scientific of a thinker, but he wasn't that scientific. We're like, well, the brain just, the brain has the mind in it. Right. Like that. No, no, no. Descartes. No, but um, so no, nothing? It, okay. they, they found it necessary to swallow the knowledge center which is somehow non-material in his in his idea of, of what a person is that there is a separate piece of business other than your brain that contains your mind which is um both generous and in a way kind of naive looking at it from this from but uh, you know also people are still religious so what the fuck uh,
2: right. maybe yeah, yeah i mean maybe yeah, it's yeah, uh, maybe
0: it's morbidly optimistic i don't know uh, th- but in 1938, it wouldn't have been, it certainly would not have been that odd to, um, to not hew to the material <laughs> as the right. ultimate form of reality. Um, and, but I, I think that I could have gone there the rest of my life and not made that con- that ch- connection, that all of these chains include a little tiny bit of lip service to the idea that this thing is not only viral in Material body, but it's also viral in thought, which is um, really kind of finally the Ouroboros snake eating its own tail conceptually when it comes to the thing in the sense that the virality of thought is really the anxiety that it addresses, at least by people that are in you're in my position of, of looking at it and going like, what the fuck does this mean? Mar- right. Like, like this some thoughts are dangerous. And in this case, they are exemplified by an alien from another planet. And, 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 and I, 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 I love certain subjects on this show because they're so stupid. They're entertaining. And I yes. love other subjects on this show because they're so, um, they're so sneakily sophisticated that they're entertaining, even though they are usually carapist in a um, dense armor of unsophisticated media. You know what I mean? Like, my favorite thing are smart movies that are packaged as dumb movies. There is, there is, there is, you know, like, and the thing is a good example of that, where although it has a massive cult status, all of the trappings of it are like, there's a fucking monster. (laughs) It's right. from space and this guy's going to try to kill it with a flamethrower and, and, and the fact that it contains, um, some of the most influential cultural messages and dynamics of at least the American 21st century is, it's just an endless source an endless source of joy <laughs> for oh, me absolutely. and i'm sure as it is to you
1: there's a reason we keep coming back to that well i mean it it, it that's that's why we're still talking about this fucking movie so after so many years
0: yeah the, yeah the i mean the thing as in who goes there um certainly i am legend is in yeah, is in the is the same t- like micro bucket of of silly's genre stuff that is actually maybe the most essential american story total because we have um thanks to it, the way that, that i am legend which if you're not familiar is the um the the story that also is the will smith story that's about to have a sequel but oh i love was, i am but Legends, yeah. I, uh, ripples out into American culture over all of the 20th century and beyond like, for instance, there is no the walking dead. There is no night of the living dead. There is no, um, you know, uh, the last man on earth. There are all of these, we have played out different iterations and different accessory packs for I am legend. Throughout American history, so much that it is it is really in the sp- the spinal fluid of the country. Uh, oh, absolutely! One one individual who uses. Um, some combination of violence and science to solve the otherness that has taken over all of the world that is besieging him at all sides that (laughs) the, the DNA of that one dumb little Richard Matheson story, uh, about about shitty complaining vampires in suburbia is so, um, annoyingly relevant in 2023. It almost makes me, uh, almost makes me shit. (laughs) I got to read that again. I, you know, actually, now that I think about it, I it's such a it's it's a weird read. I listened to it on my sojourning journey from the East Coast to California. I was driving in my shitty little car, and <laughs> I I had it open, and because uh, the technology was uh, more agreeable to this, I had my laptop open and played it on audiobook for the nice. like about half of the drive because it's a long ass audiobook. Um, so uh, I recommend it (laughs) if you're going to be very, very alone for a very long time. I think it, kind of matches the, the hue of that emotional palette.
1: I'll have to double check with my wife after we've talked about the thing again, if I, if I'm going to be alone for a very long time, (laughs) I do want to put on a small plug for the thing, the video game from 2002.
0: Oh my God. I, I have notes. I have my notes written on it here. Um, and I'm so glad that you brought it up because it, it, it at least I maybe was going to forget but I have a whole I have a whole section um, so did you play it when it came out
1: absolutely uh, I, it I totally I, had I totally did I played. Yeah, it.
0: the timing for me was exactly the same I had a PS2 and yep. um, it fucking kicked ass that game it was amazing it, it was, it was, it was such a good game
2: what have you got one body no survivors dealing with isn't human. Please go. But it's taken human form. Stay the hell away from me. I'm warning you. Come on, Pierce. This is crazy. Bullshit. You're infected just like the rest. My men are dying out there. I've seen firsthand what this infection is capable of. Oh, you have no idea what it could do. Like my dad always said, If you want a job done right, you gotta do it yourself. You're out of your league here, Blake.
0: Whatever that studio is should really sell that to another like CD project red or some motherfuckers to like make a new version of that because it was definitely limited by the, the animation and technological options that they had at the time, but goddamn, it was a good horror game. I don't know. I don't know if yep. i have you know, other than, I don't know when I've played a horror game, you know, you're much more, um, you're much more literate in a diverse palette of games than I am. I'm a, I have an extremely narrow window of gaming. I'm like intense and narrow. And you guys <laughs> in addition to just your natural dispositions, in addition to, you know, you also make a show about games. So, um you guys have a, a much more wide context in which to place it. But I have not played enough horror games where I have like five or six of them where I just love. And that's the only one that I like really played through it. And I really like stuck to it because it was scary. It was dynamic. The play was fun. And it at least to a great extent, not perfectly, but it to a great extent, actually matched the tone of the material that it was imitating. Um, yeah. To to make a super analogy there with the game imitating a game, but whatever. What stood out to you about it? Because man, I thought that game kicked ass.
1: I think it was great. Uh, I have not played it since. It's hard to get. I have a copy of it. Okay. Um, and and, you don't and have I have a... an Xbox 360 that theoretically I could uh, I could play it on that. I'm kind of afraid to though because it, it's it's such an old game and I imagine it hasn't aged well. Uh, and I want to I want to hold on to the good memories of it. But the thing that I remember the most about it was there were so many ways to die. Uh, yeah, yeah, you could be yeah, you could torn b- apart by you know just hundreds of spider crab uh, heads everywhere.
0: Definitely, like just you could, you could just only be immolated in all sorts of different ways. Right, man. There was a, right, lot, of, there was a lot of you could freeze to death. There was a freezing. Freeze, there was a freezing mechanic. Yeah. There's, there's
1: a, the, the, the mental, uh, uh, like, am I going to snap kind of thing? Um, I, I loved it. I have so, such fond memories of it and, uh, I would love to, uh, I'd love to, I I probably have to now, don't I? I've been talking <laughs> well, about it. Now I have You know, to play
0: what, Phil, maybe we'll come up with some way where we can both play it and turn it into some kind of weird special crossover bullshit. Oh, I, I really like that We should game. we should do a Twitch stream or something yeah. like that. Yeah, we'll do some weird promotional. But um I'll, do some st- sort of promotion. Yeah, just, cross promotion, baby. So That's how we do it? <laughs> I love it. So, sell it to Kevin. Um so to to get it on Mike, the thing was a, a 2002 video game adaptation by um, computer artworks and Vivendi universal games. And it was on windows, PS2 and Xbox. And it was a third person squad based horror shooter, which is a bit of a mouthful, but it actually succeeded at, um, All of those genres, at least in my opinion, where I'm I really don't like playing first or I'm sorry, third person games. I do not like staring at my avatar's back. I do not like (laughs) having to shoot with my avatar. Um, And even though even with my natural a disposition toward it, I I found the game very playable, very scary and that it's um the frustration arc of its winnability was really exactly articulated in a way where it was both difficult and satisfying and and yeah. it it, it yeah. had a a different it was scary in different ways and the settings were odd enough and it introduced enough of that like is this guy a monster or is he my buddy dynamic That actually kept it fresh and um, and anxiety inducing, but in a fun way. Does that match up with kind of how you enjoyed it, or or what sticks out to you? One hundred
1: percent. It was. It was. You know. it, it, It was not a flawless game. It was not a game changer, so to speak. But they took. Things like a paranoia meter or a paranoiaometer, as I like to call it, uh, and uh, or or, or cold mechanics or, uh, or or the shooting, like you were talking about, a smart horror movie uh, packaged as a dumb horror movie, and this took that a, a step further. It, it was it was way dumber uh, instead of the one scene <laughs> of a spider head falling off of the, 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 medical bench and, and crawling away and getting torch. You have literal dozens of them charging you. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's, it's the aliens to alien basically. Um, yeah. And so you lose a little of the creep factor and gain some fucking righteous action shit. Uh, and that's the only way to say it really. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> but I I remember it very fondly. And uh, it even answered some of the questions, as I recall from the film, um, and it just, it was, it was a solid game and I am flabbergasted in this age of remasters and all that shit yes. that nobody has just put a a a, a fresh code Hon- of HD yeah, paint yeah, on yeah, this Yeah, thing. honestly,
0: you really could take the exact same game and just, um, put it in Unreal Engine and, yeah. and recode some important elements, scrub some stuff away, change some dialogue, and and really just do a reskinning of it into a 2023 level technology game in terms of its appearance and oh, yeah. you could make a bajillion dollars on of it cuz it was you know it's it's not a groundbreaking game but it no. was just very solidly delivered a horror mood which is very hard because the thing about horror is that horror is the bubbles in a champagne bottle it only works in containment right there's a reason mm. why every horror film is contained in a space and that space right. that space may be non-literal in the sense that it maybe is wherever your child is in the case of the Babadook, right? Like it doesn't necessarily right. have to be on the boat in the ocean with Jaws, but a lot of times it is. A lot of times it's the spaceship that the alien is on or in yeah. in your mind when you're asleep with Freddy Krueger. The space can be, a, can be a little bit non-linear, but it means that the bubbles of danger are contained. And thus- There's a and, limitation. Yeah, There's, and, there are and, gates and wi- holding you in. All of that to say, it's so hard to translate into a game because a game always unwinds in space and time over a long stretch. A, yes. a, a game, unless you're playing Altered Beast, never like half lasts like half an hour or not even 90 minutes. You know what I mean? A game has oh, to yeah. have those dozens, if not hundreds of hours of playability. So to be able to take something that functions in the contained champagne bottle and uncork it and shake it out over I don't know how many hours that game would be in terms of mean playability, but it's got to be easily 100 hours of playability that game, no problem. Um oh, sure. That the fact that they keep building up the bubble of tension and and deflating it, building it up and deflating it means that it really required some crafting that I have not I I just haven't seen that much in in gaming. So, um, yeah, it's not, I, I'm glad that you're there to validate my obviously prejudiced, uh, uh perspective <laughs> because I'm such a thing that, you know, enjoying the game, you know, seems like I, you know, people are like, yeah, okay. You like the thing game, of course, duh. But like, I, I didn't expect actually, I expected it to be if anything disappointing because I really hate adaptions of my favorite things it's um yeah. it's a theme in my life like i don't fucking no, no i don't no, like that fucking 2011 they- piece of trash and i would have liked to have liked it but i cannot tell you one goddamn thing about that movie other than uh, that lady was the star and the cgi was bad
1: it's so funny because i'm with you you it, it used to be that I, I guess that maybe it's an age thing. Cause I remember when I was young, uh, I found out there's going to be an X-Men movie. They're going to make a goddamn X-Men movie. And you know, of course this is before the oversaturation of comic book movies and, and all that, but like there was excitement to it. Oh, I can't well, wait to very see early, it. That first X-Men movie. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but, but, but now I found out, they're doing an adaptation of my favorite book. They're uh it's it's n- it's not even really a popular book. It's a uh, uh, this book called Straight Man by Richard Russo. He's famous for a bunch of other books, but not this one, but it's my favorite book and they're making a series with Bob Odenkirk called Lucky Hank about wow. it. And Bob, Odenkirk? you I've read I've literally read this book like 13 or 14 times. Oh, wow. I love it's it's just one of my it's just a satisfying comedy Taking place in a college English department. It's funny. It's sad. It's just a very, very satisfying book. And I saw the trailers for it just last week. And you would think I would be excited. And all I could think I was just filled with dread. Filled with dread.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I that's no, I really feel that. I really feel that. I've mentioned on the show before, so the audience will be (laughs) familiar with this meme, but you may not be aware. I have a recurring series of nightmares where i go into a weird novelty shop um and i am confronted with a series of action figures that are very confusing <laughs> and okay. that's the tot- <laughs> and that's the totality of the nightmare there there is no there is no like doll coming to life and murdering me but th- I, it is just my brain has decided that this is my boogeyman <laughs> And the problem with this, the problem with this being my boogeyman is now this happens in real life (laughs) because because of the 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 juxtapositional state that our culture is in, that you will go to a you'll go to a music store because there are still music stores in the world and there will be a Funko Pop for the Joker Batman Right thing. Or, you know, like bizarro Wonder Woman or zombie Captain America. And I'm like, why is this actually happening to me in real time? And I'm not actually afraid of it. It's just, you know how your brain can turn anything into a nightmare by just putting it into a nightmare. And you're like, that's not objectively frightening. But my frightening chemicals are going off while you're showing this to me. So I guess I'm frightened of it now. So thanks yeah, to yeah, you don't know why you're unsettled. Thank, but you yeah, and thanks to are. my unconscious conditioning, I am frightened of confusing juxtapositions of toys, <laughs> <laughs> and it is just such a dumb, absurd thing. And so uh, this thing that should give me a massive source of joy is just sort of odd, like looking at it askance from the other side of the room. Anxiety. Yeah. And yeah. And that that looking for, through my Stephen King peripheral vision is also the way. That I look at like the second or third Venom movie <laughs> where I'm like, yeah. yeah, I know you got Tom Hardy to star in these, but how come you keep fucking up the whole story every time? You know, right. like, I like <laughs> this should be my favorite thing in the world. This should be Tom Hardy in Mad Max, not Tom Hardy in Venom, you know, like, I, right, you know. <laughs> To create a, you know, a point counterpoint of Tom Hardy is good in this thing that is my favorite thing in the world. And this other favorite thing in the world, I fucking hate because you don't know how to do Eddie Brock, right? Or you do Eddie Brock, right? But you don't do the rest of the world around him, right? Because you're bad at writing villains, whoever this is. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, no, I I would say that I approach more more things that are connected to my favorite things with absolute dread by a factor of easily four or five to one. than I've oh, approached uh, them with joy. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, like Blade Runner 2049, for instance, I, that was a source of maximum anxiety for me <laughs> for a long was time. It? Yeah. Yeah. I did not want to have any knowledge about it. And now I am happy to report that I am at worst ambivalent about um, Blade Runner 2049. It is a enjoyable film that does not, it does not, um, it does not correct. It does not caress my scrotum in the way that the original Blade Runner does. And you sure, like, look not. at yeah. these fascinating implications about the robot peoples. <laughs> but it is a good, quote unquote, a good movie. Where it does yeah. not totally trash everything that I liked about the original. therefore yeah, they could have done a lot
1: a- worse with that kind of a beloved uh, franchise. It could have been a lot worse. Yes.
0: I, it is It is allowed to carry on past its expiration date and uh, eventually be lost like tears in rain like everything else. Sure. <laughs> Well, he now, referenced the movie, you guys. He was that was in the movie, everybody. He referenced the movie. It's some high literary criticism, everybody. <laughs> it's like fucking dare or die over here. <laughs> Master at arms, take that man below and clap him in irons. Now is the point of the show, Phil, where we have to ask is the the thing from the 1938 novella Who Goes There?
2: Is it, is it is it is it is it bitchin van art
0: <laughs> bitchin van art <laughs> i'm gonna hand this one to you because you're gonna be one of my rare guests that totally grasps the concept of the bit so uh, what do you think phil yeah. what do you think
1: I, i'm i can't I, I can't say it's bitchin van art <laughs> no, I, I, no it is I, a th- i
0: As it's as it's visually depicted in the in the novella, it's kind of a a kind of a slappy, almost frozen Medusa kind of uh, uncanny valley uh, creepy creepy guy. (laughs) You know, it's a it's It's, a it's it's very
1: tough to make plants metal. You know what I mean?
0: You I've that's there you go. There's your tagline right there, everybody. (laughs) Nailed it in one. Nailed it in one. <laughs> um. And that brings us to the end of our time with you, dear reader. Until next time when we deliver you another batch of beasts, bullywogs, and bowls of flesh-eating dessert fluff. That's the section where Gavin tells you to go check out his stuff. Go check Gavin Longshanks on Twitch. He's probably doing stuff there. I don't really know exactly when it comes out. It comes out, but I don't know when. Share an episode on social media. If you got a monster suggestion, get us at oopsallmonsters at gmail.com. If you want to toss a coin into the potion fund, hit us up with a one-shot contribution at paypal.me slash oopsallmonsters. Or if you're feeling uh, a little bit more thingy, patreon.com slash oopsallmonsters hoops all monsters to support us in an ongoing fashion lastly i have to thank my wonderful friend katie for our incredible theme song her work as part of the duo the darling kathleen's can be found on youtube at the darling kathleen's and with that i have been hess and phil thank you so incredibly much for coming on for this this supersized i knew it was going to be supersized the whole time because you and i are not good at shutting the fuck up um, <laughs>
1: how, how would how could it be anything but with you and me, dude? I just don't see how that was possible.
0: No, if if, if, if you know, a if anything, and I said you know I pontificated earlier about maybe my favorite thing about podcasts is they cause me to delve deeper into subjects that I have you know a, a moderate or super superficial relationship with and actually develop something that has a, a, a more accurately called expertise about them. The, about things that I love. And the other one is that it forces me to have conversations with people <laughs> that I like that I haven't talked yeah. to in a long time about my favorite subjects. So Isn't that nice? It, yeah. It's way better than other things. <laughs> it's, 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 it's it's way better it's than way other things. It's way better than things. most I can't argue with other that. things. You know, you go to the you go to the weird uh you go to the weird Southern gas station and they got that like weird grainy. Peanut butter fudge right there next to the cashier. And you're like, oh, yeah, it's better than that stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's real good, but usually it's not.
1: It's 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 rarely what you want, but uh, you're going to
0: eat it. So I've been Hess and this has been Phil. Phil, tell us how to get at Pixelit or any other thing that you would like us to get at.
1: Oh, absolutely. You guys, uh, please uh, subscribe and or listen to uh, Pixel It. You can find us at Pixel it Pod on Twitter, uh, pixelitpod.com. You can listen to it there. You can find us anywhere that podcasts are processed and uh, uh, turned into delicious rendered lard for your ear holes. Um, you can find <laughs> me on Twitter at El Dork. Uh, that is El Conquistador with a K at the end, because that was that was the level of clever I was working with in my late 20s. Yep. And uh, yeah, that's that's my that's my my spiel.
0: Yeah, check Kevin and Phil out at Pixelit. It's genuinely very funny. If you like video games or you like books, there will be an episode for you. And, uh, and I don't I recommend so few things. Just take my word for it. Um, so <laughs> he's he's right, it's true that's been Will <laughs> and I've been Hess and we in this case have been a very off-format version of Oops All Monsters alright, see you next time everybody